Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your first Friday follow-up episode of 2022, and this episode is following our bonus episode where you heard from our Season 3 subject, Mr. Jesse Eldridge. Uh, We've got several questions from you guys about Jesse's case, uh, and also we still are in the midst of ongoing developments in the West Memphis 3 case. We've got a couple questions about that. Uh, We're back in the studio this week with Mike and Zach. Next week, just to let you guys know, we will not be in the studio. We'll probably be doing a YouTube live version because I'll be out on assignment out in the field. We'll talk about that real quick right after a break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, a little housekeeping up front. Uh, as I said in the in the intro, next week, if you're not already subscribed, go to the Truth and Justice Podcast YouTube channel and subscribe and turn on the notifications. Uh, because next week we're going to have to do a remote recording of the follow-up uh, because I will be out in the desert uh, working on our Season 12 case. And so as long as we're doing it through Zoom, Zoom has a function where I can stream the podcast, what we're doing, right to YouTube. So we're going to do that. Um, and so you'll be able to – we'll still put out a post where you guys can ask questions, but you'll also be able to ask questions live during next week's episode. So be ready for that. Go to the Truth and Justice podcast YouTube channel. Hit subscribe. Hit notifications so you know when we go live. Probably will be – it'll be Wednesday next week when we're recording it. Uh, probably Eastern time, I don't know, 11 o'clock, somewhere around there, 11 or 12, somewhere around there. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll put it out on social media when we're getting ready to go live. So be ready for that, uh, and then we can get into these questions. So this this week's episode, I, I, I as I told you guys, not a fun one, not a fun one to start 2022, but I think it was an important episode for us to hear. You know, we hear a lot of the good things and the happy stories from the wrongful conviction work that we do, but we don't often hear the reality of what a wrongful conviction does to someone. Um, the app, you know, when I got Jesse on the phone for that interview, as you know, it's not what I was really expecting, but it was just, you know, 
Jesse has good days and bad days, just like anybody else. And I, and that's just the way he was feeling that day. And, and, you know, I want to honor his, honor him to, to let him speak whatever he wants to speak for all of you to hear. And so that's what we got. It was really heartbreaking to hear, but I'm glad you put it out. I think it's something we all needed to hear. You know, we have to realize that it's not all butterflies and rainbows. I mean, this is, this is the real world. This is really his world right now. And as hard as it was for us to listen, he's living it. Right. And so I think I'm, I hate to say I'm happy you put it out because it was really hard to listen to, but it needed to be put out there. Yeah, I, I agree in this. It's, and we, like I said, we, we tend to on the outside, look at these cases and we, we, everybody always shares the exoneration stories and we hear the people that are full of hope and fighting, but you know, sometimes we don't realize that those same people are just struggling every single day, you know, being locked up, having their freedom taken from them, their families taken from them day in and day out for something that they had nothing to do with. Uh, and that's, that's just reality. So I'm, I am glad that we were able to, to capture that as, as kind of upsetting as it was for, I know I saw the comments on, on our Facebook page. There was a lot of people that Jesse really brought them to tears during the episode. And I was choked up myself during the, during the interview. But with that being said, we're going to get right into your questions. As I said, we've got some questions about Jesse's case and some about the West Memphis three updates. Okay. Our first question comes from Stephanie. What if anything can be done to help Jesse at this point? either furthering the conversation or even helping lift his spirits during this dark time. I'm sure I speak for many when I say that it was heartbreaking to hear him in the last episode and know he's losing all hope. Also, listener Candy mentioned maybe writing the CIU. What do you think? I would say don't do anything right now. We need, this case is tough because, you know, the, the good news was, you know, the Innocence Project of Texas has the case. We were able to get it into the hands of the Conviction Integrity Unit, which is a good thing. But then at the same time, once they got involved, that's kind of when we had to back off because they didn't want things being publicized. They want to be able to work through it in their own way. And that's just so I'm kind of kept in the dark about a lot of the stuff that's going on because, you know, Allison's not really allowed to share stuff with me about the about the progress of the case. And I don't know. I mean, that's something. if I get word from Allison that, you know, we need to do something like that. The, you know, as far as like writing letters to the CIU or anything like that, then I'll, I'll certainly let you know. But you know, we got to be careful that we don't that that doesn't backfire. You know, I, I I don't know the temperament or personality of of Cynthia Garza, who's in charge of the convic- conviction integrity unit. I don't know if it will help or hinder Jesse. So right now, the best thing you can do is is write to Jesse. You know, help help him stay connected to the outside world. Help him keep. The faith that he's that he's going to get out of there at some point. That's that's I think the best thing you can do. Okay, and then as far as writing to Jesse goes, listener Lisa wants us to remind people how to do that. Yeah, so Jesse's address. He was after shortly after that interview was moved back to the Hughes unit where he was before, which is a good thing because he's you know he was he was not thrilled to be moved down to the unit where he he spent. Oh gosh, I think it's been about a year or more that he's been in this other unit, uh, but he's back. So if you go to our website, truthandjusticepod.com, uh, and go to Jesse's case, his mailing address is on our website, and that is the accurate uh, uh, address to send him letters. Yeah, and just so you know, that address is Jesse Eldridge. That's J-E-S-S-E-E-L-D-R-I-D-G-E. Number 741650, Hughes Unit, 
Route 2, Box 4400, and that's Gatesville, Texas, 76597. And make sure if you mail anything to Jesse, they have a lot of restrictions. You can go on the TDCJ website to see what you can send them. I don't know the specific off the top of my head, but you can't send cards. You can just send send just paper. I think I think there's ways to send cards, but they're 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 very restrictive. So either go on the TDCJ website for any restrictions as far as what you can mail and what you can't, or uh, just to be safe, you can just send letters. Another thing that you can do is you can actually send inmates books from Amazon. Uh, I did, I used to do that with, um, with Ed, there was, you know, he liked to read a lot when he was in prison, but you could, you could actually go onto Amazon and send them books directly through Amazon. And maybe there's, there may be other things that you could send through there. So just keep that in mind, but, but definitely don't, don't send anything if you're not sure he's going to get it. Denise says, what does Allison Clayton and the Innocence Project say about the lack of progress on Jesse's case? Do they have any suggestions? Uh, they don't have any suggestions right now. As I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can get some guidance on that. Um, I think, you know, I, I think Allison kind of share, I don't want to speak for her, but it seems like she kind of shares in the frustration where, you know, we've done a lot. They've, they've done a lot of testing. I, I'm not, again, privy to all of that information, what's, what's been done. Um, the big one was, you know, the recantation of Troy Eldridge. I, and I know that that was taken to the CIU. I believe he was given polygraphs, which he passed. Uh, I believe they have affidavits from him. He's ready, willing, and able to testify that his original testimony was, in fact, a lie. And it's just, you know, since then, as, as far as I know, since then, uh, the CIU has, has told Allison that they want to go interview Jesse. And as Jesse said, over two years have gone by and that just hasn't happened. So I think there's some frustration on their part too. Again, I don't want to speak for Allison, but uh, that, that, that seems to be the case. Jessica says, is there a way to find out from the CIU the expected time frame on Jesse's case? Do they have a process for working through cases? Also, Jesse's case was based on Troy's testimony and Troy's recantation is his main chance of getting out. What happens if, God forbid, Troy passes away? Can a recorded recantation be used? I don't know. You know, certainly we would hope and pray that doesn't happen for many reasons. But I, I would think that the fact that if it was just my recording of Troy recanting, I would say no. But in this case... The CIU has been made aware. They have personally interviewed Troy. I believe they they were there to get an affidavit from him. So I would think that that information would still be able to be used in post-conviction proceedings um, if something were to happen to Troy. But you know, the, the better solution is let's just get the ball moving forward and get it over with so we don't have to worry about all that. Jordan wants to know when Jesse's up for parole again. Maybe we need to have the amazing lawyer who helped Ed Eights get parole help out since Garza is sitting on her hands on Jesse's case. You know, I'm not sure. I actually looked on his website this morning and it says he's eligible for parole in 2009. And they tend to get when they, you know, anybody that is not willing to show remorse for a crime because, you know, in Jesse's case, he didn't commit it. So he, he he's not going to do that. Um, they, they tend to get what they call set offs where they'll just, you know, look at the file real quick and just say, I oh, will see you again in three years. I'm not exactly sure where he's at now, but also, you know, Jesse has made, unless he's changed that position, made pretty clear that he doesn't want parole. J- Jesse is, uh, is 
a man of integrity. Some might say stubborn. Uh, it feels that way because we're just we just want to get him out so bad. But you know, he said, "I don't want to get out and wear an ankle bracelet, and I don't want to get out and follow their rules. They've they've imprisoned me for all these years for something I didn't do. I want to be released on grounds of actual innocence." I don't know if Jesse would even be willing to take the steps for parole because he just feels very strongly that that's that's a cop out on the part of the state. If he were to take parole, would he still be able to fight his his case? Yes. Yeah. So that's where that's the position Ed's in right now is, you know, he's out on parole, but we can still present new evidence uh, to have the conviction overturned later. And that's kind of what I've in the past have talked to Jesse about is, you know, if we're never going to stop fighting, but it'd be sure it'd be a lot better to be able to fight with you on the outside than you on the inside. All right. This runs from Erica. Jesse mentioned the keys were tested. I don't know if we've talked about that before, but do you happen to know when that happened and what technology was used? With MVAC and all that, it might be worth looking into. Always thinking of you, Jesse. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, as, I, as I said, I, the, the fact that the keys were tested was news to me. Um, I didn't know that un- until then, and that's because you know, part of the deal with the with IPTX and the Conviction Integrity Unit is is that Allison's not a lot uh, not allowed to disclose a lot of what's going on. So I, I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't MVAC. I know I've suggested to them to use MVAC on Kiao's clothes um, before. I don't. You know, keys would be tough depending on how they were stored, but that could also be a, an opportunity to use MVAC testing. But I don't know what technology was used. Okay, we're switching gears to the West Memphis 3 case. Matt says, I'm sorry to bring this one up, Bob and company, but Nons in the Forgotten West Memphis 3 case. What, in your opinion, is the biggest misconception they have or keep regurgitating about this case? Personally, I'm done with arguing with stupidity. Oh, Happy New Year, by the way. Yeah, so yeah, for those of you that weren't around during Season 5, there's there's always been two groups when it comes to the West Memphis three case you have where the group that's been called the supporters and they're the people that believe the West Memphis three are innocent. And then the group called the nons, which was, I think comes from non supporters or the groups that believe they're guilty. And there's just been this constant, you know, it, it, it's an ugly, ugly situation between those two groups has been for years was during season five of our podcast. You, you we talked about last week that, we're, we're, we we finally the fact that that the the chief lost his job and that we've located the evidence is one of the first wins that the guys have had you know since they were released in prison in 2011 and it's also where we're sitting now has put the has has put the nons in a pretty precarious position i'll i'll say that i'll just come out and say it. it's it's pathetic what i'm seeing right now on social media from the the nons, the folks that believe that the Damien, Jason, and Jesse are guilty. So so this is this is our situation. Damien and Jason and Jesse, specifically Damien and Jason, are fighting to have evidence tested to find the truth. It's all they're trying to do. They're trying to clear their names. They just they're not saying let us out. They're not saying throw out our conviction. They're saying let us test the evidence. There is new technology out there that can find DNA that other technology in the past could not find that can prove who actually did this. And as I said, think about that for a minute from their perspective. So let's look at Damien specifically because he's been the driving force behind this push to get this evidence tested. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. He's out. He gets out in 2011. He's living his life. He's, he can never go back to prison for this. Even his probation period is now over with. The 10 years is over. And he wants to test the evidence. He's pushing to test the evidence. Now, there's been people who have said, well, it's just a big PR stunt. It was never really going to be tested. So if that's the case, look where Damien's at. He pushes because, you know, I brought to them, to their team, uh, the suggestion to use MBAC technology. It's explained to them that this new technology can find 200 times more DNA than with traditional swabbing methods. So it's it's if there's ever a chance for us to find out who killed Stevie, Michael, and Christopher, it's this MBAC DNA technology. And he says, let's do it. He, he's ready to go. He's fighting for it. So there's there's an argument that's been out there that, well, he just got kind of pushed into this because, you know, what was he going to do? I was on TV saying uh, 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 that there's this new technology and we want to test this evidence. So he didn't really have much of a choice. So if that's if that's your position is, well, this is just all, you know, him, him just going through motions. Well, then we have the district attorney, the police chief and the mayor come out and say the evidence has been destroyed. That is, that was the perfect out for Damien. If Damien's guilty and Damien never really wanted to have the evidence tested, in my opinion, what happened there is the prosecutors maybe believe that the Crestman, the police chief, maybe believe, well, maybe Damien really is guilty. Maybe these guys really are guilty. So here's a way for us to put an end to this. If we say the evidence is destroyed, then all he has to do, he can cry all he wants to for the rest of his life that, well, we had a chance and it's gone now because they destroyed it. And he could have left it go with that and just made a big stink about it and just moved on. But he didn't. He continued on. They filed filed a lawsuit uh, through the, the Arkansas court system for them destroying his evidence and and for them not responding to the FOIA request. And, and, and that resulted in uh, the uh, higher court forcing the West Memphis Police Department to turn over the evidence and the evidence logs. And that's how we finally found out the evidence is there. So what's going around now is so the the pathetic, this is where I say it's pathetic. The pathetic part is now there's this big campaign from these nons trying to explain why the evidence shouldn't be tested. And they're and they're 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 trying to make it look like the Damien's desire to test the evidence isn't real. It mean and and I if you go on my personal Twitter at Bob Ruff Truth, you'll see I've I've had discussions with some of these people and just keep putting it back to listen, all these arguments you're making, what does it matter? You know, things like, 
Well, they took the, the it was their idea for the Alford plea in 2011. So since it was their idea to do this plea agreement, none of this matters. And my my position is who cares whose idea it was 11 years ago to do this Alford plea? The bottom line is this. The Alford plea is just all it is. It's it's it's, it's people think it's it's a magical plea. I'm kind of all over the place right now, but this Alfred plea is this, this crazy plea deal that can never be undone. It's not what it is. The Alfred plea is just like any other plea bargain where you plead guilty and then you get uh, you know, a deal from the prosecutor as far as sentencing goes for your plea in order to avoid trial. That's any plea agreement ever. What makes it an Alfred plea is the fact that the Supreme Court and the Constitution doesn't allow you to plead guilty to something and maintain your innocence. That's where the the case out of, I believe it was North Carolina, uh, it was a guy named Alford who was taking a plea deal and pled guilty in front of the court system and said, hey, I'll plead guilty, but I didn't do this. Well, you were not allowed to do that. And, and the case ends up going all the way to the Supreme Court, and they rule based on this Alford case that you are allowed to plead guilty and maintain your innocence. And so the precedent comes from that Alfred case. So the fact that they were let out because of this deal has nothing to do with Alfred. People always call the Alfred plea, well, it, it, it's when you plead guilty and they let you go home. It's not the case. That's the way it, it, it's done a lot of times because it's a punt by the prosecution. But all that's happened is they were allowed to plead guilty in exchange for a deal. And in their case, the deal was that they were sentenced to time served. What makes it an Alfred plea is that they maintained their innocence when they pled guilty. That's the only thing that that, that makes it an Alfred an Alfred plea, and it's no harder to undo than any other plea of guilty, which happens all the time. So, uh, but but you know the whole well, it was their idea. Well, it doesn't matter. In order for any plea deal to happen, both sides have to agree to it, and the reason both sides agree to it is because they both know there's a risk. To go to trial. If the, if the prosecution has a slam dunk case and they know they're going to win, they're not going to do a plea agreement. They're going to take you to trial. If a defendant knows 100% there's no way they can prove I did this, then they might say, I'm not taking a plea deal. I'm going to trial. What happened in this case is so let's look at Damien specifically. Damien's on death row, he's going to be executed. He actually would have been executed in 2017 for sure. If he, if not before then, that was when their uh, uh, the drug they used for their lethal injections was about to expire, and they they executed I don't remember eight people or something all in in a matter of a couple of weeks because they wanted to use that stuff up. But Damien's on death row, going to be executed, and the argument that they'll make is, well, they had an evidentiary hearing coming up in December to look at the evidence. To see if they could, and they'll say to get a new trial. That's the evidentiary hearing would have just evaluated the evidence. They would have then had to continue forward with a habeas corpus uh, trial of sorts uh, hearing, and then see if they were granted a new trial. That was, and so they'll say, well, if he was really innocent, they would have waited till December and had that evidentiary hearing instead of taking the plea deal in August and going home. And you can say that all you want, you could, but the the reality is. Damien's on death row. If the evidentiary hearing or the habeas hearing did not go his way, then he 100% would be executed. That was it. 
his last bite at the apple in that case. And keep in mind, Jason did not want to take it. Right. He, I mean, he fought against it. They had to convince him to take it. Right. So that they wouldn't kill Damien. Right. And then people will say, well, he wasn't going to be killed before the hay meet, before the, before the hearing. That's true. But it does, but it doesn't matter. So, so what I tell people to do is imagine yourself in their position. Imagine for one moment that maybe Damien actually is innocent. Well, then look at his experience. He's innocent. He went to trial and they got it wrong and convicted him. And then he's innocent and did a direct appeal and they got it wrong and upheld his conviction. And then he's innocent and he went to a second direct appeal and they got it wrong and upheld his conviction. And he's innocent and he went to his first habeas and they got it wrong and still upheld his conviction. So for you to tell me that in this position, when they're saying, hey, here's another chance to go through this same court system with more evidence, and if you win, then you'll be cleared. But if you lose again, like has happened every other time, then you're going to be executed or you can go home tomorrow. So that's the position he's in. So Damien decided he would rather go home that day and save his life than risk maybe not winning that next appeal and maybe being executed. On the other side of that, you have the prosecutor, Scott Ellington, who he's seen this evidence that they have brought before him. You know, you have the you have the hair belonging to Terry Hobbs found in the knot of one of the boys' bindings. You know, there's all this new evidence that comes out. He knows there's a chance that he's going to lose when he goes into that hearing. He could lose and their conviction could be overturned. He's not sure they're going to lose, but he knows there's a good chance they might lose. So for him, it's either don't take the plea, go to the hearing, see what happens, and maybe he wins or maybe he loses. And if he loses, then it just overturned this huge case or give them the opportunity to plea it out to where he can still say that they're still guilty, but they get out. So it's a give and take on both sides, both sides, not just the West. It doesn't matter whose idea it was first. I think it was the defense who first presented the idea of doing this plea. It doesn't matter. Both sides agreed that going into this next phase of the, of the post-conviction hearing was going to be a risk for both of them. And so they both decided the better move was to end it right where it was. So you, anything you can say against the West Memphis three, you can say against the prosecution. So that argument is dead. And, and it, as I said, it doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with in testing this evidence in 2022 with new technology. Anybody. So I will tell you this. I'm convinced that Damien, Jason, and Jesse are innocent. And I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is, both symbolically and, and, and literally, to get this testing done. I am so convinced that I'm right about this, that I am pushing for this testing and even going to help pay for this testing. Because I think that that's where we find the truth, and I think that I'm right. Now flip that to the other side, these, these, these self-righteous nons that are fighting so hard and making such a big stink out of this. They're so sure that Damien, Jason, and Jesse are guilty, but when we have an opportunity to use new technology, 
to test the evidence to find out for sure 100% if they're right, they're scared to death. They're scared to death it's going to happen, and they're trying every argument they can possibly think of to try to, 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 to stop it, to try to convince people not to push for it, to, tr- to try to push their agenda to keep it from happening. So just on its face, you can look at those two sides and see who's wearing the white hat here. Now, the, the further arguments that I see as far as the question of what talking points that they're using right now, the new one, some, uh, the lady that I had on the podcast at one point when I invited a non on to give their perspective, Lisa something, she was, I guess, on a podcast and, and a, a listener sent a link and I listened to it. I had to stop after 10 minutes because in the first 10 minutes, there's so much bullshit, just complete lies. One of the things they're saying is this entire thing of, and she had made this right after Damien had filed suit about the missing evidence. This entire thing is nothing but a PR stunt because Damien never actually wanted to have the evidence tested because if he did, he wouldn't have went to the prosecutor. Instead, he would have filed a motion with the court. So that's the first thing. It was a PR stunt. And, and that's pretty easy to argue. You said that the reason he filed the suit was only to make it look like he wanted to test the evidence. I say we know what the result was of the suit, and that's how we found the fucking evidence. So you can't come back now and argue what the purpose was for it. He said what the purpose was for it, and it, and it was mission accomplished. The, that suit accomplished exactly what it was supposed to, which was to find the evidence, force them to either admit what they did wrong or admit that they lied. And they were forced to admit that they lied. As far as not filing, another, another talking point is that's not how it's done. You have to file a motion with the court instead of going to the prosecutor. And they've never filed a motion with the court for this testing, so therefore they're not trying to do it. This is also bullshit. If you look in the uh, the American Bar Association, look at the, the the procedures to get DNA testing done. It does say the defense will file a motion with the court, but it also says before you do that, you have to con- you are required to contact the prosecutor. The reason you are required to contact the prosecutor first is because the court does not want its time or money wasted. They don't want you to go through the process of filing a motion and battling it out before a judge if the prosecutor will simply agree to do the testing. So you're you're required by law to first go to the prosecutor. The reason for that is in case they will just let you do the testing. And in most cases, if you have an honest prosecutor, they will. Because again, if you think you're right, you're not afraid of testing to begin with. In this case, we went to Ellington. Ellington agreed to do the testing. I've seen the emails, the whole string of them, the entire way where he's all the way from, yes, we'll do it. I'm having the police chief package the evidence to we need the account number, the FedEx account number from the the lab in California. So they, they didn't file a motion to test the evidence because the prosecutor said there's no need to. I'm not going to fight you on this. I'll agree to it. They also say, well, the, the, again, the, none of that matters because the motion has to be has to be ordered by the court. It's also not true. The prosecution, the district attorney, is the custodian of the evidence. They are the gatekeeper of the evidence, and any prosecutor in any case can do any testing they want to do any time they want to do it. 
the prosecutor does not need a judge's permission to test the evidence. Which is, again, why you go to the prosecutor first, which is what they did. Because the, and the prosecutor said, and again, by the way, while they're still arguing, they're still to this day arguing this, that the whole thing was a farce because they went to the prosecutor. Ellington ordered it to be tested. We have it on record. Do you think that you're a better, that you know the law better than him? He knows he can test it. Damien's attorneys know he can test it. And he was sending it to be tested. And you're still on the internet trying to argue that he doesn't have the authority to do the testing. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So that, that argument is complete bullshit. And then the next one that comes around, and I think this again came from that Lisa lady who says they only have 36 months to test the evidence. So if they really wanted this test done, they would have done it within the 36-month required time frame after their conviction in 2011. Well, first of all, a couple things. No one was doing MBAC. I shouldn't say that. MBAC was created, I think, in 2008 or 2009. The technology was created. It wasn't peer-reviewed. It wasn't accepted in courts yet. In 2000, I found an article in 2012 where, so this is a year after their conviction, where MBAC technology had been used in the first ever court case that year in Utah, I think, in 2012. It was still not, a, each state has to adopt something in order to be, before it's accepted as, as a peer-reviewed science into their court system. It wasn't even, it wasn't even possible back then. Now, was it peer reviewed in Arkansas by 2014 within the, within that three year period? I don't know. I don't think so because when I brought it to Damien's attorneys, they had never heard of it before. And when they brought it to Ellington, he had never heard of it before. So as far as I know, it was, is new to the Arkansas court system. So MBEC wasn't around. It's a new technology that wasn't available to them at the time. It wasn't an accepted methodology of testing DNA at that time. But let's go back to this 36-month thing that they, they keep spewing on the internet. It's not real. It's not a thing. First of all, Damien, Jason, and Jesse are convicted in the 90s, and they were approved by a judge to do a bunch of DNA testing in 2011 and or in 2007 and again in 2011. If you can't test evidence in art in Arkansas, after 36 months, then how did they test evidence in 2007 and 2011? How has any case, there, there's DNA, te- there's backlogs of DNA trying to be tested for cases dating all the way back to the 70s. It's being tested every single day. There is no 36-month time limit. Now, if you look up in the Arkansas law, there is a, a provision that says 36 months. But what it says is in order to do post-conviction DNA testing, it has to be done in a timely manner. There's a whole list of things that make it timely. One of the things is that the technology wasn't available earlier. But there's all these things that, that, that can be interpreted as what's timely. However, it says in there that there's 36, for 36 months after a conviction, it is stipulated 
and presumed that it is timely. Meaning if someone requests DNA testing 30 months after they're convicted, the prosecution cannot make the argument that it's not timely because it is presumed timely if it is, if it is, if it is requested in under 36 months. That doesn't mean that on month 37, you can't test your evidence anymore. What it means is if you file for testing on month 37 and the prosecutor and the prosecutor is trying to stop you from testing the evidence that they can go to the court and say, we don't want them to test this evidence because it wasn't requested in a timely manner. And then the, the defense would then have to present their argument as to why they believe it is timely. So, so this argument that's floating all over Twitter, that's on this podcast with this idiot, uh, that's all over the place is just complete nonsense. There is no 36 month time limit. That's not, that's not a fact. MVAC wasn't being used in Arkansas when they were convicted. That's not a thing. The fact that, that the defense was the first one to present the idea of an Alfred plea doesn't change the fact that they both agreed to it. It has zero effect on the, on the, on the fact that there's now new technology that can find us the truth. They're also saying that the Alfred plea is a magical plea. And when you, and when you, when you accept an Alfred plea, you accept that your case is closed and you have no recourse for, for any further testing or to challenge your conviction ever again, which is bullshit. Every single, every single plea agreement, anytime anyone ever pleads guilty, there is language that says you're accepting the outcome, you're agreeing not to appeal this, but there's, there are still stipulations that with new evidence and new technology, it can be reopened. Scott Ellington acknowledged that right after the Alfred plea went through. We all remember the, the, the speech that's played over and over again. We played it on my TV series where Scott Ellington said, for me to not look at new evidence later down the road that could bring more clarity to this case would be a dereliction of my duties as prosecutor. Now, why would he say that for him not as the prosecutor to look at new evidence for this case after the conviction would be a – he didn't just say I should probably do this. He said it would be a dereliction of his duty not to look at it, not to consider it in the case. Now, why would he say that if there was no possibility for any kind of testing or any kind of post-conviction process after someone accepts a magical Alfred plea? The arguments that are being made by the other side on this case about whether the testing should be done, whether it could be done, or what the motivations behind it are all complete bullshit. In the meantime, why? so we have both Ellington, who agreed to do the testing, and Cressman in a not-so-direct way, said he would agree to the testing except for it's lost. Except for what we know now is that he was a liar, and it wasn't lost. And the mayor's a liar, and it wasn't lost. And the police chief is a liar, and it wasn't lost. So another big question we have now from everybody is where we stand right now. Right now, we are in the... So we have the city attorney, who's the one who finally... Had the, had the integrity to, to put a stop to this fucking mess and all these lies and invited Damien's legal team to come in and inspect the evidence. I'm sure because he knows the city of West Memphis is about to get their ass sued off for all the lies. The city attorney said there's no reason this evidence can't be tested. Unfortunately, the city attorney isn't the custodian of that evidence. Cressman is the, the, the district attorney. Cressman is the one 
that is that has the authority to test it. And so where we stand right now is we're waiting on word from Crespin whether or not he's either going to allow us to, to, to be a man of his word who said if we had it, you could test it. Now that we have it, if he's going to be a man of his word and let us send the evidence to be tested, or the non-group will get what you hope for, the next step will be us to file a court order with a judge requesting a judge force him to let us test it. So that's where we're at now. I'm holding out that at some point that office, that district attorney's office will say enough is enough and just let us test the evidence. Especially considering that I made a commitment when I first brought this information to Damien's legal team two years ago. The first question, of course, that comes up is, okay, well, if we do this testing, we're going to have to figure out how to pay for it because it's going to be expensive. And I committed to his team. I told him I will handle that. I promise you, I commit to you that we will fund this testing. And so they're operating under that pretense. Damien just, just messaged me just a couple of days ago and said, I'm, just, I'm talking to the, the attorneys right now. They just want to want to be clear. Are you still committed to funding this testing if we do it? Or do we need to do other fundraising efforts somewhere? And I reassured him again, we will get this testing funded. So all we need is for Crestman to give us the go-ahead and agree to let us send the evidence to the lab. And at that point is when I'm going to come to you all for us to gather the funds to pay for this testing. And, and, and to be honest, depending on how things shake out, we may put up some sort of fundraising site even before then just to show so we can show we have the money sitting right here ready to go. The only reason I haven't done that yet is because we don't know how much it's going to be. And that puts us in a kind of a weird spot if we end up with you know, a bunch of money sitting for testing and we don't know how long this fight's going to be to get it tested. So that's where we're at now. I know that's a long answer to, to Matt's question, but those seem to be the talking points. Those are the counterpoints, which are the facts and the truth. All right, Bob, our last question is from Jenna. Can we put together a list of accounts for us to be commenting on or tweeting at? They seem to be deleting my comments on a regular basis, even though I'm being respectful. And West Memphis District Court even messaged me to say, quote, wrong court. Yeah, I think the court is the Crittenden County uh, Court, uh, District 5, I believe. Um, but yeah, we should put something together. You know, this is something I'm going to, I'm going to be leaving to go out of town. I've got a jam packed week, but I think this is, this is a good thing. Let's see. We'll, we'll see if we can get some volunteers. If somebody can shoot us an email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com, shoot us an email. If you're willing to take the lead on this, um, it's just going to take a little bit of research, but if somebody is somebody out there listening can go through and gather all this information and maybe put it into a, uh, a word document or a, a screenshot of a word document. That's a photo that can be posted online. Um, on social media, uh, reach out, Michael, get that email while, while I'm out of town this week and we'll, we'll get that out. So if somebody's out there is willing to do that, I'm sure there are plenty of you that are, that are, that are ready, willing, and able, that would be very much appreciated with that. We're going to close things out. I need to, to finish some prep work before I head out to back out to the desert for season 12, uh, to let you guys know what you got coming on Sunday this week, our main episode. Uh, I have a good friend of the show. Uh, retired FBI profiler Jim Clementi on the podcast, and uh, we're we're talking about some of the projects he's working on. He's actually going to be working with me on the season twelve case. We talk a little bit about that, get a little bit of a clue as to in in this coming episode as to 
where this case might take us. So make sure you tune in on Sunday for that. Remember that this week's follow-up will be recording on Wednesday, probably around noonish uh, Eastern time on Wednesday. It'll be live on our YouTube channel, the Truth and Justice uh, Truth and Justice Podcast YouTube channel. So between now and then, go ahead and subscribe to our channel, hit the notifications so you'll know when we go live. Uh, we will submit. Uh, we'll put out a post for any questions, and then we'll be taking live questions that week. Unless anybody, anybody's got anything else, we're going to wrap it up for now. Happy New Year's, guys. Happy New Year's, guys. Happy New Year. There's only one of them. Just one New Year. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. 
Sky Stream. TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Require Sky Stream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply.